the God in you. Telling me that I should come talk to you. Connect with you. And even though we in the same room, I've yet to move. Now, usually, ministry is my mission. But this is something different. I can feel the distance. It's as if I can see the difference in what we praise. What if you don't pray? What if you hate praise? What if there's no love in your heart and all that surrounds you is dark? Then I consider, what if you're just a fallen angel? Too embarrassed to show your broken halo. What if you're a piece of the flock that just got lost and is in need of guidance? Who am I to not help people back to the pasture? And then he answered, the God in me, telling me that I should come talk to you, connect with you, remind you that love covers a multitude of sins, remind you that you too are his child, that you too can shine bright. And if you can just feel his presence in me and he can reach me through you and connect to you and remind you that, that you can shine too. Because we are He. And He is all loving. He's all forgiving. He is all welcoming. So, so shall we. Yeah. So shall we. Hello. And welcome. But only if you look like me, dress like me, oh, and uh, talk like me too. Thou shalt not sin. <laughs> I find it funny how we judge a person based on their lack of knowledge, on edge with their lack of intelligence, wondering why didn't you go to college? A set of rules, like sorry, we can't help you. Seems like your factory warranty has expired due to you being over mileage. So how far is far enough? At what point do you draw the line? See, Jesus wasn't this picture-perfect image. My man's was not dripping in finesse. To these so-called religious people, Jesus was a mess. I uh, couldn't understand how a loving God would send his son to demonstrate his reckless, undeniable love. Three nails plus one cross equals forgiven. See, that's quick math for an equation so complex it is written all in the subtext of the Old Testament, but not yet fulfilled until the very last words, it is finished. And if I'm honest, that phrase, it is finished, didn't matter until I knew who I was, made in the image of the master. See, a set of rules kept me distant from a love so amazing. I felt casted from my church, from all the questions I was asking. Ashamed of all my wrongs, so I put on a mask. So when asked, how are you, I laugh. I never understood what a fatherly love meant. So my perspective of grace was just bad judgment. 
See, when I started this piece, what I was wearing seemed appropriate, masking all my imperfections, but it was only for a moment. This is us, flawed and imperfect. What's deserved is death, but today we have breath. Look around you. So many different colors, so many different backgrounds. This just shows that we shine best when we are united. So no, you may not look like me, you may not dress like me, you may not talk like me, but you are invited. Hello and welcome. The Sandman's hopes for the red, white, and blue are based around one word, do. And to add another, make it two, do more. Because hustle is what we're raised on and it's what we're praised for. As we rack up the score until we're certainly sure right down to our core, it's more. And the same is true with God. Do more for Him, get closer to Him. Do more for Him, get more from Him. It's more, I'm sure that's right, but it's wrong. See, even though every relationship we have is transactional and reactional, because that's rational, like, hi, how can I help you today? Welcome to the bank of relational capital. Would you like to make a withdraw deposit or check your balance? Because that's trackable and cashable. Do more for each other to get more from each other. Do more for God to get more from God. Yeah, it's practical, but it's tragical. And thank God that it's not actual. Thank God his love is something different. It's radical. It's unfathomable and it's ungraspable. It's irrational and it's impractical. See, because God wants you. And it's not conditional based on what you do, but it's unconditional because of who he is. Your hustle for more won't come through, but he will come through for you because you are his. Don't build your faith on a house of cars full of bricks because truth will come and truth will blow that house over and then ask, what's this? Because it's not about boxes to check or a bulleted list. But his love is with no strings attached. It's limitless. But even that doesn't sound like enough. Because my words can't describe. Because God's love for you is exactly that. It's for you. And when you receive it, it'll make you come alive. Have you ever felt that way in your background? Maybe for church, your experience was one where you felt unwelcome, unwanted, rejected, uninvited, unimportant, unqualified. Because I know in, in a group this size, between the first service and this service, I know there's tons of backgrounds here, religious and otherwise. And when I think about that, I think of my own life where, ironically enough and sadly enough, at the end of Bible college, I started to feel my heart turn cold towards the things of God. It was like the more head knowledge I received, the colder my heart got. And so I don't know what brought you to church, to this building, to join with us today. But that religion that was talked about, a rules-based, do-more religious system is not why Jesus came and not why he lived and not why he died and rose again. There's something more that he wants for us. His love 
is unconditional, as they just said. Religious, rules-based religious systems are very conditional. If you meet these specifications, then this will be true of you. But if you fall out of line, then you've lost standing. Some of you not only have felt maybe that way in the church where there's been a conditional presentation of God through a, maybe a legalistic or very much just a rule-based religion. So for some of you, that's kind of your, your, your view of God. Some of you, is because of your families you grew up in. That the love that you were shown even from your mom and your dad or your siblings or your friends, that there was a condition attached to it where you didn't feel that acceptance and the warmth and the peace where you are loved no matter what you do. That there's a, there's a security that comes with that. I know with me, uh, I felt at times growing up as if conditional love was mine. That if I was excellent, if I achieved, when I skipped second grade, that got me more love and affection. When I made this team or I won this or I was the best at that, that was how I earned affection from people that I respected and loved. And Angela's story is even darker in that area. As she was a teenager heading into a transplant surgery, the guy she had dated for several years broke up with her by saying, I don't think I can handle what you're about ready to go through, so goodbye. Four years of dating and he walked away on pretty close to when the surgery was going to take place. And now she and her mom have told me the story of Angela sitting on her bed after her transplant surgery when the steroids were taking effect and she was puffy and she didn't feel very pretty that she was crying and saying, who's ever going to love me now? Little did she know I was in her future. (laughs) But before you get too enamored with that statement from me, um, something just happened two days ago in which I said the wrong thing pretty epically. So I'm just going to publicly confess it to you and seek some sort of group empathy, maybe from some, sympathy from others, and I'm sure judgment from most of you. Um, So we had to go to a funeral sort of last second. Um, It it was in Minnesota, and we had to go to this funeral. I was was involved in it. I'll talk more about it later. Um, But we both needed to go together. And Angela has been pretty sick this last season, as many of you know, but she'd been doing a little bit better and But this is still a big leap for her to kind of be on her feet that much and get on a plane and travel. And so me being the maximizer that I am, I'm like, hey, the the funeral itself is at noon on Friday. There's an 8.30 flight that gets in at like 10 central time. It was in Minneapolis we were going to. We can get off the plane, go right there, freshen up, do the funeral, and get back either the next night or the next morning. Angel's like, sweetie, I just don't think I could do that much in a day. I've just been so tired. Maybe we could just get there Thursday night and have a night to rest and then leave Saturday and just kind of give us a little bracketed time with people that we love there. It was from our first church uh, that I was a youth pastor in. And uh, so I said, okay, sure, I'll, I'll do that. So I book it all up. And then she said, um, hey, maybe we could stay with some friends and save some money on a hotel. And my point was, yes, that's great from a money-saving perspective, but it's not so great from an energy-expending perspective. Uh, perspective. Because if you're staying at someone's house, you don't just go, well, thank you so much. Can you send up some towels and extra shampoo? Like there's a conversation that needs to take place, usually extending for several hours. So all of this in the back of my mind, I booked a hotel at additional expense and we get, we get off the plane in Minneapolis. And what I was trying to say was that because of, of all the things that had happened, it was like going to be a great idea that we could just go back to the hotel and sleep because she looked tired. 
What I actually said was, oh, sweetie, you look really tired. He's like, I do? And I was like, yeah, you got bags under your eyes. Not even laughs, just uggs, a group-wide ugg. And she's like, what? And of course, you know, and, and so... In my, there's really no defense. It just all came out wrong. What I was trying to say was like I could tell that she needed to rest and I was so glad that we had a hotel that she can go to and sleep because I could tell that physically she needed to rest, but it came out in the worst possible order. But before you get too angry at me, let me tell you what she said to me when she was in the hospital because there is a little bit of a precedent here. Um, so granted, she was in the hospital, so I'm already, I'm already going uphill with the story. Uh, but she was in the hospital, and I came to see her, and she was battling sepsis. She was there for 10 days. Many of you prayed for her, and God brought her through that by his grace. It's, it's, it's great. Um, but I went in to see her, and there were a couple of days where she, it was pretty scary. She didn't remember really who she was. She didn't remember, you know, her brother came to visit her. Her brother that gave her his kidney came to visit her, and she looked at him and was like, so what's your name? And she just was honestly like, having a reaction to her antibiotic, and it caused her to, for three days to not really know who she was or anything. And so in the midst of that, I leaned down to tell her who I was, and she smelled my cologne. She goes, my husband wears that cologne. So I was so glad it was me leaning down. <laughs> Guys, there's a benefit to staying with one fragrance for 20 years with someone. Davidoff Cool Water, they're sponsoring the morning. Uh, anyway, um, and so she grabs both of my face cheeks, and she pull, and she looks at me, and I'm thinking there's this beautiful moment coming. Like, oh my gosh, she's going to give me a kiss. This is going to be great. She's going to say something so kind about all the stuff I was doing while she was in the hospital. And she opened her eyes, which had been closed most of the time. She goes, oh, baby, your face looks so puffy. <laughs> and her sister's sitting there trying to pretend like she didn't hear it. I'm like, okay, we'll chalk that up to the pain meds and the basic loss of where she is in life right now. So I came back the next day, put on the cologne a little stronger, wore a black shirt to thin things down a little bit. Any trick I had, man, I'm doing it. So I said, I'm like, hey, sweetie, she was a little more with it. So I'm expecting some great things. She doubled down. She looked at me a second day. She's like, sweetie, you've actually put on some weight. What have you been eating? I was like, what's in your IV bag, truth serum? Don't ask her any more questions about me. You're going to get the honest, unvarnished truth here. I just bounded out into my day with a whole pocket full of just confidence and self-assurance. But I do have a rule. When, when, when crisis hits, carbs are no longer counted. I'm just, it doesn't matter anymore. Like just, and when I get sad, unfortunately, I eat stuff. So uh, that's just Ben and Jerry are my two closest friends this last season, honestly, through the season. But, but even in the midst of our marriage, where I love her more than anything, there's moments where it feels conditional. Even though I know she still loves me, and even though she knows I love her, after I like dug myself out of the eye bag hole that I put myself in, it's still in life we look at, there's still moments where there's, where there's conditional love that we feel like we're experiencing. And for some of you, you honestly view God that way. You view like, if you achieve, if you do enough, if you are enough, then maybe he will love you. And we don't want to believe that, but some of us, that's what our lives have taught us, or that's what others have told us. And so a rules-based religion is one in which you check the boxes, you accomplish things in order to rise higher and to get favor. And so... When God created the earth and created man, he put Adam and then Eve in the garden. And while they were in the garden, they had a perfect relationship with God. 
it says that Adam used to walk with God in the cool of the day. But then Adam and Eve both disobeyed God and they went against him and because they sinned, it separated us from God and started this break between humans and God that needed to be bridged. So God chose for himself a group of people coming from Abraham and then Jacob and others. He called them his nation Israel. And in order for Israel to please God, he gave them a list of things that they could do. They called it the law. And it came to Moses on Mount Sinai while they were in the wilderness after leaving Egypt. So think of all the movies you've seen, Charlton Heston there with the hair and the flowing beards, or, or I think uh, Russell Crowe took a shot at Moses. A few people have had, no, Russell Crowe was Noah. Exodus, Gods, and Kings. Who was Moses in that one? Did anyone see that movie? Thank you. <laughs> Mr. Bale is here. Thank you, sir. We don't remember your performance. That's probably not a good sign. No, I'm just kidding. I heard he's great as Dick Cheney, though, right now. Okay. So, so Moses is up on top of Mount Sinai, and God starts to deliver to him the law. And when Moses comes down to deliver the law, does anyone remember what was happening while he was up there? They made a golden calf, and they're worshiping another god. After God delivered them from Egypt with his strong arm and through all the things he did, they're out there, and they turned away from God. And so when the law came, the Levites were, were told by Moses from God, okay, tell everyone, choose this day whom you're going to serve. If you want to follow God and the new rules I have for you in this law, stay on this side. And if you don't, go on that side. And this is kind of a sad story here, but on that day, the Levites, the priestly tribe, took swords off of their sides, and 3,000 people died that day. The day that the law arrived, 3,000 people died. But yet, this was, the law was made up of over 600 commands of how to please God. It had to do with cleanliness and, and, and ceremonial things and, and generosity and basic things like not killing people and not lusting after their wives and, and things, I mean, pretty good stuff. But yet, by Jesus' day, those laws had been added to quite a bit. So when Jesus came to this world, God in the flesh, one of his greatest adversaries were religious leaders who felt like they needed to add more to this law that was already suffocating people. And so one of the things that they did was that there was a belief at that time among the religious elite that if all of Israel just observed the Sabbath one time together with no one breaking the Sabbath, then that would usher in the return of the Messiah. And so what they did was they added laws to try to ensure that to happen. I mean, you ever wonder why the Pharisees were so upset with Jesus and his disciples when they seemingly violated the Sabbath? They were incensed because that was sort of their pet law they wanted everyone to follow. So they went so far as to add a rule on the Sabbath that says do not bathe on the Sabbath because while bathing you might spill water on the floor and if you spill water on the floor you might take a towel down and wipe it up and that's work and now you've broken the Sabbath. So they added and they added to it so much. So much so that Jesus in Matthew 15 verse 8 and 9 says these people honor me with their lips. He's quoting Isaiah 29. These people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So they're teaching these ways of living, but there was no heart behind it. There was no extra reason for doing it. It wasn't from the overflow of their hearts. It was merely the obedience of their minds. And Luke eleven forty six expounds further and says, Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, 
Woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. That's what he's talking about. You load them down with even more, and then you don't offer any help. It's amazing to think about rules-based religion have no answers for suffering. A rules-based religion where you're trying to achieve something to earn affection and favor, it has no answer for suffering. Do you remember in John chapter 9, Jesus is walking down near the temple and his disciples see a man who is a beggar who was born blind. And they say, hey, settle, settle something for us, Jesus. Who sinned that this man was born blind? Did he sin as a baby or did his parents? Because remember, in a rules-based religion, somebody has to be at fault. There has to be some other reason for it because when there must be something you did wrong, there must be some boxes parents weren't checked because God is a punishing God who wants to teach people and send them lessons like this to say, if you don't follow me perfectly, I will punish you or your children. And Jesus come back completely stifled. His disciples said, well, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be on display in his life. You want to talk about taking a system and flipping it around. No, no, this suffering didn't happen because they did anything wrong. In other words, we weren't punishing them. This was a gift because right now his life is going to glorify God so that a, a homeless beggar in Israel 2,000 years ago is going to be talked about on a stage in Birmingham, Michigan in 2019. That's the God we serve, a God who turns it around and reframes it. So in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were adding so much to this law and this, this religion of checking the boxes, this rules-based religion, had nothing to say about suffering. But look at Romans 3.20 when it talks about the purpose of the law. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So it's saying, hey, no matter how many good things you do, you still can't earn it. You can't earn it. No matter what you do, you can't earn it. The law is just there to show you how far from God you really are. Has anyone wants to show the good place? Anybody? Just, just it's a safe place. You could just admit your binge-watching habits to me. Uh, did I see any hands? Let's try it again. Any? Okay, okay, good. I'm not trying to recruit you to watch it. I'm just trying to find commonality in the room. That's all. Okay. So the good place. Kristen Bell's in it. Her mom was in the first service today. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So that was awesome. Um, and she's in it. It's a really cool show. Ted Danson plays like this angelic type guy. If you haven't seen the show, I won't spoil everything. Um, but at some point in the third season, I believe... They're trying to figure out how to get into the good place. They're in sort of this purgatorium type place, trying to figure out how to get in. And the whole system is based on earning points for the good things you do and having points deducted for the bad things you do. So they finally find the main guy who's in charge of this like CPA firm type place full of number crunchers trying to figure out all these formulas for all the things that people are doing on earth. And they had one guy in particular that was so good, he was like idolized by all this angelic realm as being like the most good human being. There's no way he's not getting in, only to find out that no one had gotten into the good place or heaven for over 500 years. Why? Even pop culture gets it. Because none of us are good enough. None of us can do enough in this world to earn a spot. Because 
of sin because of what we carry in us. Our standing with God was truly conditional and unfixable when we were, we were living under the law. Galatians 3, verse 19 says, why? why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. If the law could give us new life, and that's referring to Jesus coming at Christmas, we just celebrated that. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Under the law, on our own, there was no amount of good things to improve our condition. Even if we followed the law to the nth degree, it still wasn't enough to change our destiny. And when Jesus entered, he came to do something radical. He came to switch everything around. Jesus came as one not to just dismiss the law or not to avoid it, but to fulfill it. Because the penalty of the law, the price of the law was death because of sin. For the wages of sin is death because of the law telling us that. But Jesus came and lived a perfect life. And instead of me standing before the judge to receive my rightful sentence, Jesus stood in my place, took my penalty, and died on the cross forever, fulfilling the law and disabling the power of sin and death in that moment. And here's what's beautiful, is those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ in, in that moment in, in salvation through the gospel, there's this thing that we can do called baptism. And baptism is this incredible picture, and we're about to see a video about it here in a minute. It's an incredible picture of what it looks like, because when you see someone get baptized, right down here, we're going to have a hot tub right here, it's going to be nice and warm, there's going to be plastic sheeting everywhere, it's going to be a great time, we can't wait for it. January 27th, we'd love to see tons of you get baptized, if you've never done this, you're a follower of Jesus. But it signifies, you go under the water, and that's in and of yourself, you are dead in your sins, that's it, you're dead. And Jesus raises us to new life in Christ, and baptism is a symbol of that, of that new creation as it even says there, that we've been united with Christ in baptism, have put on Christ like putting on new clothes, that new life. So we'd love to encourage all of you to consider getting baptized if you haven't done it as ways to sign up. Uh, before we watch this video, we want to invite our ushers to come down this morning and receive our offering. And this is a chance for us to give out of the overflow of our hearts. This is not one of those rules and regulations that we're talking about. This is, this is a joyful act. Paul in the New Testament says, God loves a cheerful giver, not under compulsion, but joyfully. So there's several different ways to give. Our ushers are going to come down and pass these offering bags. You can put cash or checks in there and do that way. There's several other ways. Uh, you can go to our website. That's what Angela and I do. We go to kensingtonchurch.org slash giving. Uh, you can use our Kensington app, which is downloadable and has tons of other content as well. Or you can do a text to give 
by texting the word Kensington to 77977. So as that is happening, let's watch this incredible video about the power of baptism. There can be a lot of questions when it comes to baptism. If I was baptized as an infant, do I need to be baptized again? What is the correct way to be baptized? Who can baptize me? Why is it so important? Plus a few more questions you may have. At Kensington, we believe baptism is one of the most powerful experiences a believer of Jesus will experience in their life. So let's spend some time together to get a better understanding of what this 2,000-year-old tradition is all about. Let's start with, what is baptism? Baptism is simply an outward expression of an inward commitment to follow Jesus. Baptism doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. It's a symbol of the commitment that you've already made to follow him. Think of it a little bit as a wedding ring. The ring doesn't make you married. It shows everyone around you that you've made a lifetime commitment to your spouse. So, if baptism doesn't make you a Christian, then why is it so important? Let's look at the words of Jesus. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says, Therefore, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Those were the words Jesus had for his disciples, and we believe those are the words that Jesus has for us. Jesus established this as an ordinance of the church so that we wouldn't keep our faith private, but to go public and share them with the community. If you're wondering, when should I be baptized? Let me ask you a question. Have you put your faith in the claim that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for your sins, and that He rose again, defeated death, so that you can have hope for all eternity? If you have, then now is a great time for you to be baptized. And it doesn't matter what age you are. Whether you're 10 years old, 25, 50, or even 80, you may think that I'm not spiritual enough or I have a long way to go. But baptism is not a symbol that you have arrived. It's a symbol that you decided to begin a relationship with Jesus. You may be wondering how Kensington baptizes people. Do we fully immerse, which means to put under, or do we do the sprinkling method? For the most part, we immerse. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, baptism is buried in the likeness of Jesus and raised to walk in newness of life. This indicates going under the water and coming up. Now, if you're not able to be fully immersed for whatever reason, we don't want that to be an obstacle in your decision to be baptized. We will do the sprinkling method. What matters most is what it symbolizes, your decision to follow Jesus. So who can baptize you? It can be anyone who is a follower of Jesus. When you read the Bible, you will see men and women who were ordinary people, not ordained, without clergy credentials or formally trained, baptizing people. So at Kensington, you'll see teaching pastors and other staff members participating in our baptisms. But you also see regular, ordinary, non-ordained people participating as well. So if you have a family member, friend, or small group leader who is an active follower of Christ, they would be a great choice to be the one to baptize you. Baptism is so beautiful and emotional because of what it signifies, life change. The moment a person comes up out of the water represents a brand new person. All the past and the mistakes, all of it is left behind. We are buried in the likeness of Jesus. The old person is gone. And when we come up, it's like the resurrection of Jesus and we walk in the new life. Hopefully this helped in answering some of the questions you may have. 
Now, if you're thinking, I'm just not ready yet, that's totally fine. Stay on the journey and keep investigating. But if you're ready, we would love for you to sign up today. We can't wait to share and celebrate this incredible experience with you. I'd just love to encourage you to take that step if you haven't yet. So the first part of this message, we talked about rules. We talked about rules, religious rules, and how that in some ways kept us from God. But then when Jesus came and he died, relationship is what we get to talk about now. Relationship that is ours through Jesus with God. He bridged that gap that existed. And so it's a beautiful moment, a beautiful picture. If you look at Jesus' life, he lived, he died, paid the penalty for our sins. He rose on the third day, breaking the power of sin and death for all time. And then he was with his disciples for 40 more days telling them things they need to know, healing people, appearing, disappearing, being around them. And on the 40th day, he ascended in front of them up to heaven where he's now seated at the right hand of God. Before he left, he said to his disciples, but you'll receive power and you'll become my witnesses or you'll receive power, excuse me, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. So the disciples were entrusted with this movement of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to repair a relationship. And so he hands this movement off to 12 of the most unlikely guys you've ever known. And there were girls in the greater group as well, women. Jesus empowered men and women to carry this message forward. He crowdsourced the gospel way before it was a cool thing to do. And so here's this moment. He tells them to go and to do this. And so they're waiting for, they say, okay, well, we're going to be his witnesses, so we're going to share this, but not until after we get power, and we're going to get power from when the Spirit falls on us. So on the day of Pentecost, a day when most religious Jewish people from around the world would gather in Jerusalem, one of three festivals per year that they would come together for, so anywhere between 250,000 to a million devout Jewish people packed into Jerusalem were there. When the, and, and it was the day of Pentecost, and in the first century, they had, they had shifted a little bit of the focus of Pentecost, and they saw that the giving of the law at Mount Sinai was, they saw that the word of God was like bread. It was like that, that harvest festival. And so, so they believed that they were celebrating at Pentecost the arrival of the law on Mount Sinai. And so as 250,000 to, to a million people are celebrating the arrival of the law, the Spirit of God fell upon the disciples. And then Peter stood up and preached a message that changed human history. And after Jesus stood up and preached the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it said that people were cut to the heart and they repented and they were baptized. Does anyone remember how many people were baptized that day? 3,000 were baptized that day. So they're celebrating what happened at Mount Sinai when the law came. And when the law came at Mount Sinai, how many people died that day? 3,000 people died when the law came. And 3,000 people came to life when the spirit fell. That is God and that's how he works because the law brings death and the spirit brings life. And that's the God that we serve. And so now we look a little bit closer at how things change. How did it become unconditional? Where now the Spirit is within us, and now Paul says our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, so we're actually carrying God in us. 
In Romans 5.10 it says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So when the perfect son of God, the Messiah, paid the penalty that the law of sin and death required, everything changed. The conditional rules became an unconditional relationship, truly unconditional. Now, I don't know if we've really experienced truly unconditional But with God, when you are in Christ, when you give your life to God and surrender your heart to him, it is a truly unconditional relationship. There is nothing you can do to earn more of his love. And there's also, by God's grace, nothing we can do to lose his love or make him love us less. That is the definition of unconditional. You can't earn more. You can't lose any. He loves you completely no matter what. And is that not the ache of every human heart? Do I not want to be loved that way by my wife and by my family? Do you not want to love your kids? I think I finally understood unconditional love when I had children. Because I'm looking at them, even when they're disobeying and even when they're being naughty and they're getting out of their beds at night and I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, I love them so much, there's really nothing they could do to make me love them less. Even when discipline or when punishments come to them, it's because I love them that I do it. Because I want what's best for them. And obviously, I don't love my wife unconditionally because of the puffy eyes comment. So we're working on that. We're working on that intensely. Colossians 1, verse 22 says this. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That sounds different than what many of us have heard, doesn't it? Because of Jesus, we are now holy and blameless as you stand before God. Holy and blameless because of what Jesus has done. So now words can be applied to you like forgiven, restored, clean, whole, loved, valued, treasured. The God that we couldn't reach is now reachable through Jesus. The peace that we couldn't find is ours. And I just want to take a moment here to sort of just capture everyone's attention if I've lost it. I just want each of you to just hear what I'm going to say for the next eight minutes and 15 seconds or so. Um, Can we just kind of make it like it's just you and I in the room? So just push all distractions out because um, This has been a pretty difficult week for me and my family. Um, But there was something about this message this week with each of you that I just knew I needed to bring to you today because of what God is allowing to happen in our lives right now. Um, So I said earlier in the puffy eye story that we were going to a funeral. So on Monday, I found out that one of my very best friends in the world named Scotty Sid, is his name Scotty Sid, he passed away on Monday. Uh, He had been diagnosed uh, with pancreatic cancer 12 years ago. And if anyone who knows about pancreatic cancer knows that's crazy to live 12 years after you've been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Well, here's something crazier. He didn't die of pancreatic cancer. He got sepsis. And within a week, he passed away. What's really crazy, what makes it even more personal and painful is that when Angela spent the first 10 days of December in the hospital just a few weeks ago, she had sepsis also. 
And Scotty and his wife Mary called Angela in the hospital and were encouraging her and telling her to hang in there. They loved her and it was going to be okay and God was going to heal her. They were just some of our very closest friends. And there was something about Scotty. He was that guy that was in your corner. He was that guy that just believed in you. There was, the word failure didn't even happen. Even if you completely messed something up, he was with you. He was encouraging you. He was challenging you and inspiring you. And you thought, when you were with Scotty, you felt like you were the only person that mattered. In fact, this weekend when I was at the funeral, I had five different guys all tell me that Scotty was their very best friend. And I was like, oh, that stinks. I thought he was my best friend. <laughs> Wait a minute. But he was that, he's that kind of guy where you're telling him a story, and he gets excited, like, are you kidding me? And then you jump the thing, and you went to the place, and you won the, oh, my, he grabs people walking by. Did you hear this story? That's, it's like, the only other guy I've met like him is Steve Andrews. He's a lot, these two guys, I've had the privilege of knowing two guys like that, that make you feel like you're more than you are, and they make you feel really special, and that was Scotty. And in some ways, he was, he was a father, that encouraging, loving, unconditional loving dad to so many people. Because I was a youth pastor, and he was one of my volunteer youth leaders. And so we did ministry side by side for five years. And, and what's crazy is, in many ways, he was like a father to me. Because he loved me, that unconditional love in my corner. And so on Monday, we went, or we found out that he passed away. And at his funeral, you'd be amazed at what happened. So everyone's getting up and sharing all these incredible Scotty stories. The church is absolutely packed, overflow and all that. But at one point, Scotty himself had shared his testimony at their church not long ago. And so they played his testimony at his funeral. And his testimony said this. He said, because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, I am not afraid of death. He said, I have hope. I have peace. There's nothing that can come to me. And he was 10 years into his pancreatic cancer battle at that point. He's like, there's nothing that can come at me that God is not bigger than, that God cannot heal or stop or end. And even if he doesn't, I have hope in life beyond this one because Jesus is everything to me. And he shared that message with anyone that he came in contact with. He had hope beyond this life. And to hear him say it with that assurance, because here's the thing, a rules-based religion has no answer for suffering. But a relationship with Jesus is that he is the answer. He is our hope. He wipes out fear. We have peace, and we have peace that passes understanding. We have unbelievable hope, and Scotty had that. So that was on Monday. I found out that Scotty passed away. And then Tuesday... Tuesday, I found out that my father, uh, who over the last couple weeks has broken both of his legs, um, he broke his, I think this is the tibia, doctors correct me if I'm wrong, or medical people, he broke his leg there, just rearranging himself in a bathroom, and he snapped his leg, and they found lesions in his lower leg that caused his bone to be kind of hollowed out, but they thought maybe it was just isolated, and then during rehab, he went to sit back down on the bed. He's a big guy. He went to sit back down on the bed, and he snapped his femur right by his hip. And then the next day, so this is New Year's Day, the oncologist informed him that he has multiple myeloma. It's aggressive. Six months left. We moved him into hospice a few days ago. In fact, when Angela was in the hospital, one of our girls said to me on day eight, she said, I just feel like mommy's already died. And so I told Angela, I was like, hey, 
tomorrow when we come to see you, just know that this is what one of them said. And Angela sat her down on her bed and said, sweetie, are you doing okay? And she said, mommy, I just feel like you've already died. And she said, honey, I'm here, but you have to know I'm not afraid of death. I have hope in Jesus. Like, I am not afraid of it. If he takes me now, that's okay, because I get to go be with him in the real good place. I get to go be with him in paradise, and it's going to be okay, and I won't have any more pain. I won't have any more struggle. She's like, do you understand that? That that's who Jesus is to us, and the same is true for you. And that gave our little girl so much peace. I'm looking at my wife like, who are you? Who can do that in that moment? Scotty had hope in the midst of his heartbreak. My dad loves Jesus with all of his heart. By God's grace, our relationship has been so repaired. And there's a beautiful relationship now. And now he's looking forward to when God's going to take him home, but he's not ready to go yet. And Angela is getting better each and every day. But I'm just telling you, even on a week like this, a rules-based religion is bankrupt. Because I need God right now, and I need him. I need him a lot. Because I just simply can't carry anymore. I've tried to carry stuff on my own. I've tried to carry my wife. I've tried... And it's like, this is that moment in my life where I'm just surrendering and saying, God, I need you. I need you to give me hope. I need you to give me peace. And the beautiful thing is, he does. He has this perfect love that drives out fear. So now when I think of my dad, I don't have fear. When I hear Scotty speak at his own funeral on the video, there was no fear. There was hope and love and joy. And when I talk to Angela, she's like, sweetie, I'm not afraid to die. That's the relationship, that's the hope, and that's the peace that each one of us can have through Jesus. Because here's the thing, each one of you is gonna have that day that Scotty had on Friday. Each one of you gets that day. I don't know how many people are gonna be at yours, I don't know what it's gonna look like, but every one of us has that moment. We know that every one of us is going to pass away at some point. And the truth of the gospel and the power of Jesus is that with Jesus, we don't have to fear death anymore. The power of death and sin has been forever broken by Jesus. And he did it because he loves us. So I just want to get really personal with you and just say he did it because he loves you. And all those times in your life when you felt alone, And you felt overwhelmed. And you just felt the darkness closing in. He saw you. He loved you. And he has pursued you to this day. And the chair that you're in on this Sunday. Because I'm telling you, everything inside of me just wanted to sleep in today. We got in at midnight. I went to sleep at 2.45 and got up at 5.45. But you know why I'm here? Because I feel like you need to hear what God is doing and who he is. Because he is real. Jesus Christ is the most real thing in my life. The Bible talks about peace that passes understanding, and that is what I'm talking about. How can you have peace when everything's falling apart? It's a peace that comes from Jesus, and I don't care if you're eight years old or you're 85 years old today. That peace is real, and it's there for you. And the relationship that Jesus has, he's offering it to you today. 
He's saying, I have been with you your entire life. I have been pursuing you. And today is the day to find that relationship with him. You can't do it on your own. You were never meant to do it on your own. You can't carry it on your own. He's saying, will you surrender to me? Allow me to repair the relationship between you and God so that now you can have hope in this life and hope for eternity. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. Because remember, we cannot earn it. We can't earn it. There's no amount of points we can earn with our lives. No matter if you followed every single detail of whatever works-based religion you're working in. No matter if you fulfilled every part of the law, there's still that coming up short that each one of us has. It's a gift from God. But here's what I love. Verse 10 says, for you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for you to do. That means that your life, the good and the bad, the hard and the easy, it means the blind beggar in John chapter nine, his life was God's workmanship. Why? Because there was a good work he was about to do. And everything that's happened in your life, God has allowed to happen. Why? Because he has a purpose for you. Because we're not just saved from a life apart from God. We're not just saved from the bad place or eternity in hell. We are saved for something. He has a purpose for you. Even in your most dark moment, even in your, even in your furthest moment from God, even in your deepest heartbreak, there is something in that that God is going to use and he's going to redeem it. And, and let me be an example. I'm up here bleeding publicly. I mean, number one fear, people, is public speaking. Try public speaking when you've got emotions you can't quite rein in. So I apologize if this is hard to watch. But I'm just telling you, God is using my pain to help others. And that's what he does. He redeems your pain to help someone else. Who am I? I'm nothing. I'm nothing without Jesus. And yet he invites us in to be a part of his kingdom. He invites us in to be an agent of healing and change. He invites us to share our stories to see others come to know Jesus. So we're gonna sing a song about the grace of God and how much he loves you. As we do that, I just want you to think about what you've heard today. I want you to think about the relationship that is being offered to you. Will you surrender to Jesus today? Give your life to him. We're gonna sing this song. And then I'm going to come back out and we're going to talk about it again. I'm grateful for the grace and the love of our relational God. Let's sing this together.